President of the United States takes on the governor of Texas over mandates, the border wall, and control over the National Guard. <laughs> the United States takes on Texas? Yeah, that'll end well. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And here to delve into the bizarro world of the news today is Dan Newman. I love the chuckle. <laughs> That isn't going to work out so well. Texas taking on the U.S. Hey, guys. Welcome to TNN Live. Welcome to the second day of this week. And I'm so glad you chose to join us here today. Man, we've got a big, big day here. We've got a lot of information going on around us out there. You know what's interesting to me? Often, I just get a sense. I just get a feeling, an inkling. These days where there are so many news items that are thrown out there, sometimes I think they're doing this on purpose. They want to divert our attentions from some other things that are going on, so they make a bunch of noise. Y'all look over here. Look over here. Don't look over there. We've got the goods over here. That's the world in which we find ourselves living. Very seldom is what we look at exactly what we think it, and we were told. It is. There's disguise. There's deflection. And people just don't want to be caught doing something wrong or not doing something right. There's a whole lot of that going on out there. I think you'll uh, you'll agree with me. So what's the big news of the day? There's a lot of news. There's a lot of big news. But I guess the thing that impacts more people than anything else is that federal judge struck down the CDC's mask mandate for public transportation yesterday. That's everything from subways to uh, taxis, airline flights, bus trips, rail trips, all of those things, public transportation. You don't have to wear a mask anymore. What judge did this? Catherine Kimball Mizell. She's down in Florida's Middle District. I think that's in the Orlando, Sarasota area in that part of uh, Florida, obviously. She was appointed by a conservative president, former President Donald Trump, and that's making a lot of uproar in itself, the fact that she was appointed by Trump, and she's a conservative, and she struck down this thing that all of the leftists, they felt like this was their last bastion of control over the sheeple, you and me. If we can keep them masked up, if we can keep them convinced that if they don't mask up, they're going to die, then they'll continue to listen to us about every other thing. But if they find out they can slip behind some of the mandates that we throw on them, they'll finally realize, you know, we don't have to abide by these illegal, borderline illegal mandates that are put out by our government. So what was the thing that got them off? Well, she says the mask rule that was written exceeds the CDC's statutory authority, and that comes from what is called the Administrative Procedure Act. It's interesting. They found a a tweak in the law, a tweak in the rule. And don't think for a second that this administration ever tweaks any of the rules or the administrative acts that are put in place. They work right down the middle, don't they? Never go left, never go right, right down the middle. That's what a government's supposed to do. Yeah, right. 
The Biden administration, they have continued to extend this temporary mask mandate order through the pandemic. And they announced last week that they were going to extend it at least 15 more days into May. And the judge stepped in. Now, let me just say this. Don't think for a second this won't be appealed. In fact, it'll be appealed today. Why is that? They, the left, cannot accept the fact that the American people aren't believing in large, aren't accepting and believing all this top-down, heavy-handed stuff coming from the government. That's just a matter of fact. Throughout history, folks, here in the United States, we don't live in a world where stuff like this happens, where the White House just manipulates everything, ignores the rule of law, ignores the sovereignty of it, any and every one of the 50 states acts like there is an authoritarian government in D.C. that controls everything. Isn't it amazing? They throw that A word around all the time and they throw it around about Republicans. What have we told you here from day one at TNN Live? When they make a bunch of noise about something and they all pile on about something, you can book it, it's going, whatever they're pointing out to you and telling you how evil it is, they're already doing it. They hide it, and they hide it by using diversion and noise. But it's going to be it's going to be back, and here's probably what will happen. It'll get appealed to a, dis, uh, not a district judge, but a, uh, a circuit court of appeals. That's where it'll go next. And whoever represents the government in this, the CDC in this, uh, process of taking on in court the renewal of the mass mandate. All they're going to do is prove that there is a likelihood that not wearing masks on public transportation will infect a bunch of other people. And if they get a judge, which they typically can, they're they're just going to say, "Hey, look, we're still." We're still analyzing the statistics. CDC, you know, we've got this new variant out there. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know what to do to protect us from it. Which is a bunch of hoo-ha because they know everything about it. They'll find a judge that'll say, okay, temporary stay. We're going to put the mask thing back in while the CDC is getting the rest of the data that they need to make a real solid explanation for keeping a mass mandate in. That's going to happen. And this federal government has garnered so much power. It just seizes it. And they just revel in the fact that they have so much control over the citizens of this nation. It's actually very scary. And a couple of months ago, if I'd said that, they would just write me off as a conspiracy theorist. It's no longer conspiracy, is it? It is happening before our very eyes. So there's a lot of talk rolling around D.C., actually around the world, about Biden and what's going to happen. We've got a presidential election two and a half years away. Don't think it it's, it's not going to be close and just kind of lay back and don't get involved. It is imperative that we all get involved and start watching and listening and reading to find out what we can and everything we can about what this government is doing, what they're not doing. And there's plenty of both to go around. 
we've got to get this nation back on the rail. We need somebody up there. We need a bunch of somebodies up there that are committed totally to do just that. Will it be Trump? Now, there's people out today that are saying now Trump's absolutely not going to run. And then you have the other side that for months have been saying Trump's going to run. Trump's going to run. I don't know if Trump will run. I don't know if he does, if he would be primaried by somebody, some other Republican go up against him. I don't know any of that. And usually by this time, we have a good sense of, you know, two years out, especially a national race that the candidates are going to be known, or at least they put their feet in the water, testing the water to see if they can get any support that is sufficient to begin a formal campaign. Now, former VP Mike Pence, everybody thinks that he is considering making a run against Trump in the primaries. He hadn't come out and said it, but he's making himself more and more public. Typically, that sends a message that, hey, I'm coming out. I'm going to do this thing. Gosh, I hope he doesn't. I, I think Mike Pence is a good guy. I really do. But I don't think he has the chutzpah to take on the opposition like Donald Trump did when he was in office. The opposition, where's that come from? Well, it's headed domestically, just down the street in the Capitol. Whoever's in power in the House and the Senate, that's where the pushback always comes from. If it is like it is today, you have a Democrat in the White House, Democrat-controlled Senate, Democrat-controlled House of Representatives. When you do all that, that's where you're going to find out there is friction. When you understand that politicization of everything is more important than what's better, what's right, what's legal. Now, evil doesn't wear a party button. It doesn't. Regardless of what you feel like conservatives say, regardless of what you feel like when you hear what Democrats say, it doesn't have a party affiliation. There's evil on both sides of it. There's evil everywhere you look, folks. You can't escape it. You've got to deal with it. And how you deal with it is you take it on head on. If you try to go around it and be quiet, kind of like what's happening over there in the Russia-Ukraine war thing, I think Putin, if he hadn't invaded the way he did, and I understand why he went And instead of going right after the capital city, Kiev, he started hitting these towns and cities around the nation. He was after those biological laboratories that the United States had put in place across Ukraine. Now we understand it's more than 30 of those. And Vladimir Putin, for some reason, and maybe justifiably, I don't know, but he got in his head, these are bioweapon laboratories. And so he went around taking these towns and cities out instead of just going right to the heart of the nation. I think if he had gone to the heart of the nation, we're 53 days into this now, I think it would have been resolved at least two, maybe three weeks ago. And it's going to be tough for him to come back now, even though this offensive that he is in the process of putting together right now, it's looking pretty hairy, pretty powerful. In fact, why don't we do this? We start the show every day by either telling you or letting you hear news people give us the latest update. Yeah, it's back. And yeah, Russia's doing a new thing. 
Let's listen in to CBS. Now we're following developments from the war in Ukraine. Russian forces are focusing their attacks on Ukraine's eastern industrial heartland. Military officials say this is a start to a new phase in the war after failed attempts to overrun the capital, Kyiv. In recent weeks, Russian forces have rearmed and reinforced units to prepare for the all-out Donbass offensive. That region is no stranger to fighting. Moscow-backed separatists in that region have battled Ukrainian forces for the past eight years. Uh, experts say Russia's new military approach is changing the landscape of the war. The new phase is expected to mostly happen outside of Ukrainian cities and on flatter land. This would bring the fight closer to proximity to artillery and missile batteries within Russia. Retired Marine Colonel Mark Kansian is joining us live this morning. He's a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Good to have you back, Colonel. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. What are we seeing with this new phase? It's something that we've been talking about for several days now. Now it's actually underway. Yes, the Russians have been uh, moving their forces for a couple of weeks after they gave up the uh, attack on Kyiv. So this is something we've been expecting. They um, finally launched uh, these attacks in the east where the separatists have created uh, enclaves and the Russians look to be uh, expanding those enclaves into building and building a land bridge between uh, Crimea, which they took in 2014, uh, and these separatist areas. You talk about that land bridge, Colonel, and I want to talk about the port city of Mariupol. We know that the Russians have that city pretty much surrounded there. They offered the Ukrainian troops a, a surrender or die ultimatum. They're choosing to fight. How strategic in key would getting Mariupol be for Russian forces? Well, the, the valiant defense of Mariupol seems to be coming to an end. Only a few small pockets still holding out. The Russians will probably take those in the next uh, couple of days. But the resistance has been tremendously helpful to uh, the Ukrainian war effort. It slowed down uh, the Russians so that they couldn't move further uh, north or east. Uh, and it inflicted a lot of casualties. I think the Russians will stay out of cities uh, in the future as a result. The downside is that this will free up some Russian forces who will be able to move north and perhaps link up with uh, Russian forces that are moving south from the Izium area. Is there a scenario where the Ukrainians are able to, to hold on to Mariupol? I mean, they've had 21,000 deaths there. People have died there. They're dropping, Russians are dropping bombs on, on a steel plant where people are trying to, to hide underground. It seems pretty dire there right now. There's really no way that uh, Mariupol can hold out. And ever since it was surrounded, that was um, inevitable because the Ukrainians couldn't get any reinforcements or supplies. Uh, and it was really just a matter of time until the Russians ground them down. We're just about at the end of that time now. Taking a look at the offensive in the Donbass region there, uh, depending on how this shakes out, if the Russians are successful there, could you see a way that this war ends? And I know Vladimir Zelensky says he won't give up part of the Donbass just to end the war. But is that a foreseeable end to the war where the Russians take the Donbass and there's some sort of treaty saying you take this area similar to the way that Crimea went to the Russians and that's the way this war ends? Well, it, it's possible. Um, it's hard to uh, uh, forecast because a lot depends on what happens on the battlefield. If the Russians are successful and push the Ukrainians back, they might increase uh, their demands. If the Ukrainians hold out successfully, uh, they might be able to get the Russians uh, to pull back. And the Russian military, I think, is very fragile at this point. They've taken a lot of casualties. Uh, they're getting down to the 
and of their resources. In the beginning, Zelensky put a, an offer on the table, which was uh, neutrality and freezing uh, the borders where they were before. Um, I think he would still go back to that deal. I think it would be very hard for him to give up that much territory uh, in the east and in the south. Last week, uh, when you joined us, we talked about some of the weapons that uh, other countries in the U.S. <clears throat> were sending to Ukraine. Some of those cargo planes landed over uh, the weekend. Uh, Kremlin leaders are complaining about the flow of Western weapons into Ukraine and kind of issuing uh, or warning that there could be consequences for that. Is there any more movement on what the Russians perceive that to be and, and what that consequence could, could look like? Well, it's not surprising that the Russians are complaining about these supplies. The supplies have been massive. The United States is sending about $50 million a day of uh, aid to the Ukrainians. That's allowed the Ukrainians to maintain themselves in the field, to, to keep their forces uh, fighting, and even to expand the forces with all these militias they've uh, developed. The Russians, on the other hand, are drawing down their stocks. I think what you see in the other parts of the country is the Russia, uh, Russia is attacking with its missiles. Uh, in Lviv, there was uh, some attacks yesterday. I think those are uh, aiming at the transit points and the storage points. You'll probably see more of that as the Russians try to make the resupply effort more difficult. Uh, Colonel, what is going to be key for the Ukrainians? You mentioned Mariupol is already probably going to fall into the hands of Russians. But what is the key for them to win in the, in the Donbass region further north of Mariupol? What's going to be key for them there to hold off that Russian advance? Well, I think the key is for them to keep doing what they've been doing, which is to you know, conduct a very stubborn defensive, develop pretty good infantry. And of course, the anti-tank weapons have helped. We're sending them uh, some artillery uh, and more long-range weapons to help them deal with the Russian uh, artillery, which is uh, quite formidable. If they can hold on and keep inflicting uh, casualties on the Russians, I think the Russian army uh, may break. Uh, I'd say it's very, very fragile. So the um, if they if they can hold on, uh, that may be enough. And we know morale is low, but it's hard to know exactly what they're dealing with in terms of numbers, just because the Kremlin is, is pretty tight lipped about that. Well, the Kremlin is. Uh, the estimates are that the uh, Russians have, have lost maybe 15,000, maybe more uh, killed and probably twice that many uh, wounded. That would be almost a third of their initial attacking force. They've uh, added reinforcements and replacements, but you know, those don't have the skill of the original uh, forces. Uh, so uh, morale may uh, indeed be cracking. It wasn't very good at, at the beginning. And at some point, one hopes that the Russian generals will go to Putin and say, you've got to have a ceasefire or the army will break. 53 days into this. That's how long Russia has been in this invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine is massive in size. Besides Russia, it's the biggest land mass country in all of Europe. Um, and that means it's tough for anybody to cover. In fact, it's tough to defend the Ukrainian people. You know, they have to extend, expend uh, resources to protect themselves, to defend themselves against Russia. Let me tell you what I think is going to happen. I think there's going to be very shortly, there's going to be a concerted effort, a big, really strong push by the Ukrainian military, led by Vladimir Zelensky, the president. And I think they're going to realize, if they don't already, just standing back and trying to stop Russia is not going to be enough. They're going to have to put some hurt on Russia. 
What can they do? I honestly don't know. What would they do? I honestly don't know. I do know this. The Ukrainian people, top to bottom, are not afraid. They're tough, and they're showing it. And the world is looking in on this Russia-Ukraine thing, and they're really liking what they see among the Ukrainians. In fact, over 10,000, reported over 10,000 people from around the world, from a bunch of different countries, are volunteering and going to serve in the military in Ukraine during this time because they do not want Russia to take over Ukraine. Most people don't understand how with no absolute no good reason, Russia even decided to invade Ukraine. And then things just went downhill from there. They're slaughtering citizens left and right. I can't be let to stand. And Putin knows the world's going to step up. What, what does that mean? It means the United States is going to step up. That's the way it's always been. If the U.S. does something, then it must be okay. And everybody begins to look in and say, you know, we can join this because it's a good cause. It's a great cause. I, uh, I just don't know about all this, folks. And then we have a feckless commander-in-chief. Volodymyr Zelensky has not begged, but he has made it very clear. He thinks it would do a lot for the Ukrainian people if the president of the United States went and did a formal visit. Boris Johnson of the U.K. did that two weeks ago. It just adds some some positiveness into this where the Ukrainian people, top to bottom, they're grasping for last straws. They are desperate. They are being invaded. Their infrastructure is being obliterated. Their kids are being slaughtered by Russians. They need help. They need the United States of America. And so... There's been back and forth about, does Biden go? Will Biden go? Yesterday, here's what she had to say about that. To all of you. Okay. And President Zelensky told Jake Tapper yesterday that he wants President Biden to visit Ukraine, and he believes that he will. You said last week there were no plans being made for President Biden to go. Is that still the case? That has not changed. Uh, what our focus continues to be on is providing uh, Ukraine, the Ukrainian government, Ukrainian leaders, a historic amount of security assistance, assistance that's been adapted based on their needs and their successes on the grounds. And obviously, that can be attributed largely to the courage and the bravery of the Ukrainian leaders. But but the second reason is because of the military assistance we provided. Uh, I would note, because I know this is an understandable question you all have asked, that um, if anyone were to go, there's no plans for the president to go. So let me just reiterate that. But uh, we would not uh, outline from here or anywhere from the government who, if, and when for security reasons. So we wouldn't have any details to preview regardless. Excuses, one after another. Oh, because of this, we we did this, so we wouldn't have to do this. And everybody else can go, but we're the United States. Our president is so valuable. We certainly can't put him in harm's way. Go into a war-tone area of Europe? Ha, 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 ha. This president's not going to do that. Well, there are a lot of reasons why he probably won't go, and none of what Jen Psaki mentioned would be even one of those reasons. I don't think he would realize he was out of uh, Delaware if and when Air Force One landed in Ukraine. That's a, that's a story for another day. 
Well, guess what? In the middle of all of this, in all of the chaos in our nation, all of the horrible, horrible things that are happening under this administration, Joe Biden has told Obama that he's running again. He's going to run for re-election in 2024. Wow. During a press conference in Brussels last month, here's what Joe said. He said, I would be very fortunate to run against my rival from the 2020 election, former President Trump. Biden said he wants to run and he's clearly letting everyone know. The source also said that Biden, despite his horrible approval ratings, this is the part that just blows my mind. Democrats say he is their best candidate for 2024. And experts point and say, you know what, with the field that's out there, Pete Buttigieg, Vice President Kamala Harris, whoever's out there, Joe is still the best pick. <laughs> now that, that doesn't say very good things about this Democrat Party, does it? If that's the best that they have, somebody could stand up and slaughter him. Somebody from his own party could probably stand up and slaughter him. You know, what's happening is this equity philosophy of the left, it's taking over the left. More and more people on the left are prescribing that whole thought process for themselves. Pretty much what it always is. It's mob rule. You want to be part of what's happening? Well, jump on board. We're going to teach you how to do it. And the fundamental of it is dumbing down the population that joined that that way of thinking. Everybody's pretty much the same. Nobody has an opportunity to step forward and show they're exceptional. And so we have very few exceptional people, exceptional leaders coming out of the Democrat Party to serve the nation. It gets worse and worse and worse. So when it comes time to pick, pretty much you can just go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, it's you. Forget about qualifications. Forget about experience. Forget about philosophies. None of that changes. All that matters is, is that big D on your chest? Are you a Democrat? Do you prescribe to the good things of life and the important things of life? Well, that means you've got to be a Democrat because Democrats control all that, at least they tell us. And that brings up that brings up another, another topic that, that's pretty important. Our commander-in-chief. He's not a leader. And I thought about it, saying that for a few minutes, a few seconds before I said it. But my conclusion is Joe Biden's not a good leader. Well, how does a good leader that is not really a good leader, like Joe Biden, how does he get anything done? He's got all these things that he's done in the last year and a half. Most of them are not good. Did he just pull these out of the air? Where's he getting this stuff? So Americans right now, far more than 70% are asking this question. Who's in charge of the nation right now? 
It's not the man getting wrangled around by a giant Easter bunny on the White House lawn. I can tell you that. They celebrated their annual Easter Sunday, had its traditional egg roll, but the Resurrection Day festivities, they turned into a national embarrassment because of Joe Biden. His handlers, that include his wife, Jill, they did their best to walk him around like a pet, telling him when to sit, when to speak, when to stay. And so this just one more time raises the obvious and alarming question. Who is in charge of the greatest country on earth right now? It certainly is not Joe Biden. So if you haven't seen any of the footage on Sunday from the Easter egg hunt, you might think this is an exaggeration, but it's not. Jill monopolized a children's book reading that the president was supposed to read from. And Joe even said, and they're not going to let me read it all. I'll let you, the first lady said, here, you can start us off. She led the president and he read one page, only one page. Jill tapped him on the arm with the command, just stay. So he didn't wander off as he does pretty often, followed by the duo awkwardly laughing it off as if she hadn't just treated the president of the free world like a puppy dog in training. So he did give an address. And after he finished, Jill jumped in, instructing him to do the obvious. Wave at everybody. Wave. Of course, if there's anything we know about the marital dynamics, it's that type A wives often stay on top of the little details and make sure the husbands do the same thing. But this Joe Biden cringiness, it wasn't just the presidential equal of misplacing a wallet or not being able to find something that's located right in front of you. This was like watching an assisted living nurse spoon feed a patient. That is not an encouraging thought. It's even worse. It wasn't just Biden's wife taking care of him. Even a giant furry was tasked with following him around. When the president started yammering about Pakistan and Afghanistan, oh, by the way, he failed miserably in that withdrawal, the Easter Bunny stepped in to cut off the president from saying another word. So if somehow, someway, anyone still has any remaining confidence in the competence of our chief executive, that what we saw play out on the White House lawn on Sunday should have shattered that notion. But this isn't just about pointing out the Biden gap machine's perpetual blunders. It's still a serious question. Who the heck's in charge? We know it's not Joe. And although Jill had the reins on Sunday, we know the First Lady's power is very limited. It probably isn't the person in the bunny suit either. We also know it's not Kamala Harris. Despite being decades his junior, she can't even string together a a more coherent sentence than he can. And for that reason and many, many more, she's largely shielded from the administration's pet policy work in true Veep fashion. It isn't White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki either. She gets schooled almost every day by Fox News' Peter Ducey 
and is rumored to be leaving her post headed for a gig at MSNBC where she'll continue to spin for the Biden administration. Who else could it be? We know it's not Democrats in Congress. They don't have a large enough majority to do Jack Diddley except to advance Biden's Supreme Court nominee to the bench with Republican help. Who's in charge of this nation is an important question. And it's not a laughing matter. All our foreign adversaries are watching this, licking their chops, making their plans, because they know by looking, seeing, talking to, being around Joe Biden, he ain't all there. Weakness invites aggression, as we've already seen with what Russia is doing, their advance on Ukraine and the systematic destruction of our U.S. southern border. So here we are today, two days after Easter Sunday, 2022. More than 330 million of us, ostensibly in the hands of a president who's being ushered around by an Easter bunny, no idea who's actually in charge around here, Given the state of our grocery shelves, have you been lately? OMG. I've never in my life seen stores run out of some of the most needy things. And it happens again and again and again. We've been told, we've pulled all the people, all the American citizens out of Afghanistan. I promised you, nobody would be left behind. Everybody was coming out when our military left. We still have 600 Americans hiding in Afghanistan, trying to get out. That's Joe Biden. Look at our southern border. Look at our gas prices. Look at our job openings. Look at our, his, foreign policy. Look at our public schools, inflation, and health care. Looking at all that, folks, it sure would be nice to know who's running this thing. And I bet you thought at the end of that, I was going to tell you who's running the nation. You know what? It's not the people. It's not Joe Biden. Speculation abounds. I'm not going to give you my thoughts, but if you've been around here and hang around, you know who I think is in charge. And it looks like that to be more true every day when we talk about it. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding Captain Label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. 
Are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 six-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I called the EMT? Turkey breast. Participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. Married to the truth. Divorced from the lies. Fighting for the future. TNN. The Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. By the way, if you want to weigh in with your thoughts, ask any questions, make a comment. Feel free to do so. Toll free 1-866-TRUTH. That's 1-866-37-TRUTH. I left two numbers out the first time. The real numbers, all the numbers, is 1-866-378-7884. 1-866-378-7884. If you watch Fox News, Fox News Business, even watch the regular Fox News channel, pretty regularly you meet a guy named Charles Payne. Now, he is a business specialist Apparently, he's a genius in uh, all things to do with business. But as an African-American man, he's got some pretty heavy opinions about a whole lot of things. And one of the things that uh, yesterday he just went on a tangent with, he just went crazy about it on air, is the forgiveness of student debt. Now, it's massive. There's huge uproar around the nation because Joe Biden hadn't eliminated all the student debt, even though he never said when he was campaigning he would do that. The assumption was because he was getting so much input from the left, the hard left, that everybody just assumed he was going to do it. He hasn't done it. So, Charles Payne excoriated Representative Premier Jayapal, who's a Democrat from Washington. And by the way, he added in her other progressive colleagues for pushing so hard for the cancellation of student debt in the name of racial justice. And I don't think Payne was that upset about the money, though I'm pretty sure he was. But doing that, canceling all student loan debt, or even part of it. They're trying to make it a racial thing, doing so to try to put pressure on Joe Biden to just do it to get them off get them off his back. Listen to what you're about to hear. Charles Payne, when we get deeper into this audio bite, he goes absolutely nuts. 
here with a reaction is the host of Making Money on Fox Business, Charles Payne. Welcome, Charles. So they've, yeah. they've paused these payments, I think, like seven times. Now it looks like they want to do something. Is this just to win back these young people who are mad about gas prices and inflation? That's part of it. That would be the White House's angle. Progressives, though, their angle is something different. Progressives have hijacked the pain and suffering of black Americans for everything that they want to push. Mm -hmm. And it's despicable. Must stop now. I'm going to say something very vulgar to the progressives. Stop pimping black people. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Let's go through this in three ways. First and foremost, why would anybody in this country want to forgive student loan debt? 71% of folks with professional degrees have student loan debt. You know how much they make over a lifetime in earnings? 3.6 million. Doctoral, 3.3 million. Master's degrees, 2.7 million. If you have less than a high school degree, you make about 900,000 a year throughout your lifetime if you're lucky. Why the hell would someone who got a, dropped out of high school, only has a high school degree, pay the loan of someone who's gonna make $3.6 million in their lifetime. So right then and there, it's nonsensical, it's unfair, and it's stupid. All right, point number two. Who owns this loan, this, this, this debt? 59% Asian students, 67% Hispanic, 70% white. Where's the racial justice? Where's the racial justice that she is talking about? Let's go to her, her district. I checked out her <laughs> district last night. 4.8% black people in her district. Who is she really helping in her district? That's correct. 73% white, over 60% graduation rate, more than double the national average. It is a gift to her white donors. One more thing, let's go with this. Who are her donors? Try Microsoft, number one donor. You know how many black people work for Microsoft? You can go down to the next train station and find more. 3% are managers. It's one of the largest corporations in the world. Now, here's the problem. They keep saying, well, black people have more of a percentage. You know, it's harder to pay it back. That's not the, that's not the, the, the college loan. That's society. That's Microsoft. That's progressive corporations who will write a check to a bogus organization that buy a $6 million house instead of really hiring people, training people. They're the ones who don't believe in black people. Microsoft, the people that progressive are, are, are protecting. The whole thing is a sham. It must, it must stop. But here's the reason why. Have you ever asked yourself, why hasn't it stopped? If it's so easy for progressives and Biden, why haven't they signed off on this yet? Why? Try that the federal government Biden is making $23 billion a year off the interest. Yeah. So it's a pretty big economic decision. Okay, you want to forgive $1.5 trillion? You just want to make it go up and smoke? Okay, and then on top of that, $23, $25 billion a year in interest? Listen, it's an economic disaster. It's a farce. You can't tell me on one hand we're going to help people go to college, and then on the other hand tell me college doesn't pay for itself. You can't have it both ways. One has to be correct. One has to be correct. Well, college tuition is definitely inflated. Of course and it's so inflated. It became inflated when the government got involved. Exactly. When, they kicked, when President Obama kicked the private sector out, when, when a banker would look at your, 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 your application and say, okay, you want a four-year degree in pottery and you want to pay $200,000 for it, the bank can't approve it. That's right. So President Biden, Obama said, okay, we'll take it over. Yeah. Here we are now, $1.5 trillion later, and they want every American to pay again. A professional degree, $3.6 million. You know, I have five it's buddies over. It's called redistribution, Charles. That's it is called what redistribution. It is. That's, what it it is. Is. That's what socialism is. I have, I mean, but you're right, it skews to the professional class. Of course it does. Yeah. I have five friends over to watch the fight this Saturday. Let me tell you, uh, one just retired from construction, nice pension, fund, for, funding his 401k, one's driving a bus for 40 years in New York, 
neither one of them have degrees. Another's a sales professional. He makes over, you know, makes six figures a year. Only one guy there had a college degree, and he paid his off years ago. Not one of them talked about, they were all black men in their 50s or early 60s. None of them talked about racial justice being paying off student loans. They were worried about their grandkids, particularly in these large progressive cities that don't seem to get anywhere. Yeah. If you want to ever really justify this, I would say to the congresswoman, talk to your donors. Why they're not helping the people in these cities the right way. Talk about the education that leaves these kids un unable to get a real competitive job. Yeah. And don't put them in college when A, they're not prepared for it, and B, you're telling me it doesn't work anyway. In that audio bite, in that piece on Fox News from yesterday, you heard a black man a very successful black man, Charles Payne. And he just went nuts. Representative Jayapal from Washington, he made it very clear. He went and looked at the numbers. 4% blacks in her congressional district. She's not representing those people. She's not. She's not doing anything for those people. She's pandering to the people that write checks. Political money is what drives legislation. And so what's the end game? Just look at it and back, back out of it. One and a half trillion dollars of student loan debt, Barack Obama and Joe Biden took over during their eight years. They took it from the banks. They felt like they were told that these wicked, evil bankers are taking advantage of all these young young kids that want to go to college and borrow all that money. Where was all of that thought process when I was in college? Where was it when you were in college? We sacrificed. Our parents sacrificed. Somebody sacrificed in there for a common goal. Get a good education. Get a secondary education. Get a good job, a better job, and begin a life knowing that you've got a future. And somehow, making it easy to borrow money to go to school, when it happened and it went over the top of the Obama eight years, everybody just said, hey, 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 let's jump on this hayride. We're going to have a lot of fun. We'll borrow oh, two or $300,000 for four years of education. Some places, 100000 a year. And it's student loan debt. And I heard this conversation more than once years ago when all this began. They'll never make me pay all that back. They'll come up with a plan to throw it away. And look, that's exactly what they're trying to do right now. There's no way it's going to be thrown away, folks. It doesn't work that way. There is no throw away of any kind of debt. Somebody gets hung. Somebody gets stuck with it. And in the case of student loan debt now, that Obama and Biden took it away from the commercial banks and took it in to the big bank, the federal government. You know that entity that you and I fund. There's nobody else out there funding it but the American people through our individual taxes and our business taxes. 60 plus million dollars a year in interest on those student loans the federal government is getting. 60 plus billion dollars. 
And then, of course, Charles Payne took the race card away from those supporting it with his statement, stop pimping black people. Stop pimping black people. In other words, using black people, using the name, using the color, using the racial piece of being black, using that to take further control of people's lives by taking money forced from the American people, paying more taxes to the federal government to fund all of these people that borrowed all this money and they never should have, in many cases, borrowed a dime. That's the way we roll. And it's far-left policies that are pushing us further and further down this road where Big Brother is going to take care of everything. You don't have to worry about it. We've got it covered. Yeah, we had student loan debt in my family. We're we're working-class people. And we paid it all. Long time ago, we paid it all. And it's just like anything else. It wasn't fun paying it, but we got something from it. We got college educations for our kids. We have three kids. Two of them went to college. One of them didn't. The one who didn't is an executive chef doing very, very well in Fort Worth. The other two are in business, and they're doing amazingly well in the businesses they're in. College is not the end all. It's not the absolute panacea for making life good, making life be what you want it to be all the way through your life. It's not that at all. College is supposed to give you an educational foundation from which you can launch into whatever career that you want to go. And you're going to have fundamental education, all kinds of things. Oh, by the way, including history. You can't really do well looking ahead without knowing what happened behind, what the foundation in your life is, what it's comprised of. But none of that matters anymore because now at the top of the uh, top of the list of all things to do and the reasons to do it, race is at the top. Everything has to be looked at through the lens of racism. I got to be honest with you. I am so sick of all this mess. Completely tired of it. And this Black Lives Matter stuff, it keeps coming up almost every day. BLM has done something. BLM's not doing anything. They're saying this. They're being blamed for this every day. When it all began, you remember when all those people were living in the park in New York City and wouldn't leave? Do you realize that is the movement from which Black Lives Matter evolved? So support of BLM and calls to defund the police, you remember that? Boy, that bounced across America in 2020 following the death of George Floyd. It ignited social justice protests and riots all across the nation at a time when COVID and lockdowns had already upended our society. We were doing things and not doing things we never thought we would be caught up in. What was left in 2020's wake? A big increase in the number of murders, dealing a disproportionate blow to black Americans. Certainly, those protests and those riots back then in mid-2020 
followed a pattern of spiking violence that we've seen following past viral police incidents. Remember the deaths of Michael Brown and Freddie Gray? This pattern has been termed the Ferguson effect. It's so rampant, they gave it a name. Police pull back now while violent crime spikes precipitately. That's what they do now. Murders across the board spiked by nearly 30% in 2020 compared to the year before, making the largest single-year increase in killing since the FBI began tracking those crimes. But here's the big thing. Among black Americans, the number of deaths spiked by more than 32% compared to the year before 2019. In 2019, 7,484 black Americans were murdered. That number shot up to at least 9,941 murders in one year, meaning there was an increase of 2,500 black Americans murdered. What happened to change things then? Let's look at the comparisons between 2010 and 2019. There was an average of 5,954 white murders which is roughly 16% lower than the 10-year average of black murders. During the same time period, an average of 6,927 blacks were murdered each year, meaning black murders shot up by 43% in one year compared to the previous 10-year average. There was a roughly 21% increase in white murders in 2020 compared to 2019. And those numbers are even more staggering considering white Americans make up 76% of the population. Black Americans, only 13%. Murders in the decade of the 2010s first broke the 7,000 murder benchmark in 2015. Remember that high-profile death of Freddie Gray that same year? Michael Brown in 2014? jumping by nearly a 1,000 in just one year. Michael Brown was fatally shot by a Ferguson, Missouri cop. Freddie Gray died after he sustained injuries in the back of a Baltimore police van. Their deaths sparked protests and riots, almost just like the ones following George Floyd's death. Prior to Michael Brown's death in Ferguson, black murders had fallen each of the previous four years, going down every year. Fox News Digital, they looked at murder data from 2014-2015, and they saw a spike of 15% in year-over-year data. At least 7,000 blacks were killed each year thereafter, without ever exceeding the 8,000 mark. St. Louis Police Chief Sam Dotson, he got in the middle of this conversation, and he coined the increase, the Ferguson effect, in November of 2014. Everybody knows. Oh, it's just because of the Ferguson effect, the George Floyd effect. They put a name on everything. And so that theory got widespread attention in 2016 after the Manhattan Institute's Heather McDonald wrote an opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal, arguing the effect is one where the Black Lives Matter narrative about racist, homicidal cops has produced a virulent hostility for the police in the streets, and it's not just for the cops. It's spread across the board. Once again, we're looking at the 50s and 60s where everything 
everything is viewed with a racist lens. The summer of 2020, it was marked by a bunch of America pledging support for the Black Lives Matter movement and the defunding the police. Many cities answered supporters' calls. They removed portions of their police funding, such as Portland and New York City. The social justice movement even trickled down to small cities and spread to nearly every facet of America. Major corporations, celebrities, sports world, all demanding change. Why? Not necessarily because things were wrong, but because somebody got woke and picked up the mantle of approval that said, whatever you want to do in the name of social justice, we don't care which side of that you're on, but whatever you want to do, it's okay. We got your back. You think I'm kidding about this, folks? No way. That's just the way it is. Blacks are more likely to get caught up in this kind of stuff. A lot of people say it is a racial thing, that white cops are more apt to take deadly force action against black people. In some cases, that's true. But what we know is true in the aftermath of the George Floyd killings and Michael Ferguson, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, those two deaths, things did get out of hand and there were fingers pointed at a lot of peace and a lot of police in some cases justified and i don't want to get into the stats of black versus white cop killing black person white blo- uh, cops killing black people black cops killing white people you can find all kind of stats and make them look and say what you want them to say i'm not going down that road i'm not going to use that i'm just saying We're in a situation right now where disdain for, I started to say hatred, in some cases it is, but disdain for police is at an all-time high. And most of it was seeded during that time back in the 2020 year when there really began a huge, uh, I don't even know what to call it, of uh, political correctness when it was okay and you weren't okay if you did not despise the police, if you did not scream and cry for police defunding and retraining. It's almost like gun crimes. In fact, it's just like gun crimes. Joe Biden, as you know, he's out there now on his attack on Second Amendment. He's going to change this. He's going to change that. He's not, he's forgetting about Congress. You know, that lawmaking body that the Constitution designated is the sole lawbreaking body in the government. Forget about all that. What we're going to do is we're going to find a way to write executive orders, just like that mass mandate that was kicked out yesterday by a federal judge. If you can't get Congress to do it, even if you don't want to go to Congress, you do it. If you're in the White House, Just write an order. And even if it gets blown away later by a a court, you can have it out there operating, doing what you want it to do for months, sometimes years. That's the philosophy on all this. 
And racism, real or unreal, is at the middle of all of this. The lens of racism is the only acceptable lens to use when determining anything and everything about what to do in America. And if you make the wrong choice, if you make the wrong decision, look out. They're coming for you. Yes, crime is ramping up in all of our big cities across the nation. Every one of them is having more crime. Why is that? Because of the disdain for police that have been put in the nation with all of those incidents that we talked about, George Floyd, Freddie Gray, all of those plus the ones ever since. Just add more gasoline to the flame of racism cries against police. Gun violence at the same time has just gone through the roof. Why is that? Are they related in any way? I think they are. I think what is happening is purposely the atmosphere, especially in communities of blacks and whites that are in close proximity with their lives. Interactions there have gotten negative in many cases. People are getting, they're, they're just getting out there, staying away from people that are different. They're not trying to bridge those gaps between. They're not trying to make things work and function well. Now, yes, there are people and there are entities, companies included, that work hard to keep that diversity from creating any animosity between those included in the diversity. But folks, the statistics show it ain't getting any better. In fact, it's still getting worse. And a big evidence of that is the gun killings, the gun shootings around the nation. It's uncanny how quickly this whole thing devolved into almost a Western situation where everybody carries a gun, and if you disagree with me, you better be able to shoot me quicker than I shoot you. People are killing other people just for nothing at all or very little at all. And it's really bad. It's really bad getting worse, too. New York City crime is through the roof. With their new mayor, who comes out of a life of law enforcement, everybody expected he was going to be able to stop this and clean it up. But it hasn't happened. And you can point, in large part, to the ease of getting illegal guns. Dana, do you believe this mayor, even though he's a Democrat, is understanding the gravity of the situation? Brian, I think you asked a, a great question because I just don't know how you can understand the gravity of the situation and still be a Democrat, if I'm going to be honest, because if you look at what the party supports, the restorative justice, which helps drive this recidivism. I mean, in New York State, for example, and you've talked about this, Brian, on your own radio program and here on Fox, in, in New York, the bill reform, they ended up having to roll that back after it released so many people out to reoffend again. And I think there was something like 430 some odd brand new crimes that were that were committed by these reoffenders, people who should have been locked up if justice was going to be served, but they weren't. So I question how people can even have how you can still be a part of a party or at least not criticize the party publicly more so than this wrist slap that we hear from from politicians like Eric Adams. It doesn't make any sense to me. And and to this point, you know, all of the crime that happened over Easter weekend, Brian. Let's be really clear. Whenever we hear the administration 
whenever we hear people like Gavin Newsom, Kamala Harris, or anybody else talk about what's really plaguing cities across the country, it's the left's refusal to take responsibility for their policies in criminal justice that are driving recidivism. In Chicago alone, and this is according to their former superintendent, it's the same 1,400 people that commit over 86% of that city's crimes. But people don't pay attention in Chicago because they're so used to hearing about it. That is so incredibly sad. The left needs to take accountability, and let's do something to actually fix this. Well, the thing is, even if they don't, if they believe the criminals had it uh, too bad for too long and want to make life better for them, for their own political survival, they have to do something. It gets to the core of the American family about safety and law and order. They don't know who thinks about right or left. They think about right and wrong. I've never seen a mayor elected have more people rooting for him because of the mayor he replaced. But so far, in one month, yeah. assaults are up 72%, grain larceny up 28%, 110% for... Uh, uh, for 110% um, is grand larceny, I should say, and 37% overall increase in major crimes. So far, the numbers don't reflect his words. Nothing's happening on the positive. Yeah, and he's given some lip service to gun control advocates, and he's repeated some of that rhetoric before. And I, like you, I mean, anything, anybody's better than what, than de Blasio. Anything's better than what New York City had. I'm not even a New York City resident, but I'm new, I'm rooting for New York to have better leadership than that. And so you want, you want to see the mayor, no matter what their political affiliation is, Brian, you want to see them do well. You want to see innocent people be safe and not be preyed on by, by offenders who realize they're only going to get a wrist slap. So, you know, what's the what's the point in not committing the crime but when he gives lip service to things like gun control when he starts talking about curbing the rights of law-abiding citizens just because criminals can access inanimate objects means that somehow law-abiding should be deprived of their right that to me makes me pause and you know kind of maybe quiet you know cheering him a little bit it makes me not be on his side anymore yeah, I, we can't afford to give up. We're at, we're at 48th and 6th in Manhattan. I got I got to hope he gets it together. And we're going to run out of Christmas tree yeah. soon if we don't crack down on some of these criminals. Fox News, Brian Kilmeade, and that was guest Dana Lesh in there on New York City gun crime. I mean, here it is, folks. Eric Adams. His whole campaign was about stopping the lawlessness in the city. Not only has he not stopped it, it's ramping up. So is it a color thing? I mean, he's an African-American. One would think he would step up and do a whole lot of new things to protect African-Americans in the greater New York City. Apparently, that hasn't happened. Does that mean he's racist? Does that mean a black mayor doesn't have the welfare of black citizens in his city as his number one or even in his top tier of we got to fix this? plans? I'm not weighing in on that. I'm just telling you. Crime at every level is not something that you can ignore. If you ignore it, if you pander those that perpetrate it, now I'm not talking about the guy that makes a mistake and does one thing wrong. I'm talking about a whole mindset where they continue over and over and over again to in, in, involve themselves in criminal acts. If you don't stop it, it's not going to stop. We should stop expecting people to do, just do the right thing. Human nature says, uh-uh. Human nature says, I'm going to take care of me. And taking care of me is defined by what I think it is. And if I think that taking care of me is my being able to go get anything I want and not have to pay a price for it, then 
my opinion, is the one that counts, the only one that counts. That's not new. It's been in existence since man ever was in existence. Meism. It's to make things better for me and regardless of the cost or consequences. That's what meism is. What's the, what's the answer? The answer is to make and hold people accountable when they do these bad acts. You heard about this guy over the weekend? Maybe it was late last week. He shot 20 people. I believe it's in South Carolina. He shot 20 people. Apparently nobody's died. But he gets his bail hearing, $25,000 bail. You get the twenty five grand posted, they let him go. Put an ankle bracelet on him and let him go. Shot 20 people. They let that man get back in society and know what the reasoning for it was so he could go back to work. 20 people. 20 people this guy shot. And the concern is, oh, we gotta, we got to make sure his rights are taken care of. And we got to give him a chance to go back to work. I wonder how many of those 20 people that he shot are back at work today. Think about it. Law enforcement's just falling to pieces. And you know who are really excited about that? All of the big money, deep pockets people that have been supporting Black Lives Matter. They're the ones that have facilitated the increase and the widespreading of this anti-cop thing, this anti-law and order thing, this anti-rule of law thing. And it goes all the way to the White House. The White House, every day, they are suborning the rampant breaking of federal laws, federal immigration laws at our southern border. Lawlessness is all over the United States of America. And these people at the top don't care. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However... I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by 2 
two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. So who's dominating the news world now? Who's soaking up all the news time on the newscast now? I think this music's kind of applicable. You know, that's some uh, 80s music. And um, we've got an 80s guy that's at the top of the heap. And that's Elon Musk, Tesla founder. Well, the Washington Post editorial board, they came out and they went after Elon Musk. Not about Tesla. Not about the fact that he's the richest man on the globe. They hope that he doesn't win in his hostile takeover of Twitter. Now, I wonder why they would get in this fight. Well, here's what they said. This, is, again, is from the Washington Post editorial board. Amid his endless provocations and billionaire bluster, The most encouraging thing Mr. Musk has said about his Twitter ambitions is this. I am not sure that I will actually be able to acquire it. Now, right now, Musk is Twitter's largest shareholder. He's made an offer to buy the whole company at $54.20 per share in cash. What does that total up to? $43 billion, give or take a few hundred dollars. And he said that that's it. That's his best and final offer. So the board of directors on Thursday said that the billionaire's office is under consideration. Then uh, they started talking among themselves and they made it very clear, we're not going to do it. The Washington Post editorial board said that his attempt, Elon's attempt to purchase the social media giant, was an opportunity for him to get attention even if it doesn't end up getting his way, and that the substance of his idea for the future of Twitter are worth some wariness on their own. And they also said Musk had promised to make Twitter a platform for free speech around the globe, and I think we just hit the nail on the head. Elon Musk has made it very clear he doesn't like the fact that Twitter censors so much free speech. And it's not passed out in an equal manner. They basically, they tag you politically as either a conservative or a leftist, a Democrat or a Republican. And they watch their their censors, whoever they are, they watch very closely to make sure these evil conservatives don't put anything out there that would be misguided for their little flock of lefties. According to a regulatory filing about all this, Musk said that the social media platform needs to be transformed into a private company and that he thinks free speech is a societal imperative for any functioning democracy. The businessman had previously questioned Twitter's commitment to free speech after repeated accusations the platform has censored some minority and politically conservative viewpoints. And of course, Twitter denies those claims. 
So this hostile takeover, how does it work if it does? What he would do, he would go to the other individual and group owners of Twitter stock, and he would cut deals with them behind the backs of the members of the board of directors and give them an opportunity to make more money in such a sale. I mean, this has already turned ugly. It's going to get even uglier. But why would the Washington Post weigh in on this? What business is it of theirs? They're hoping that he can't pull it off. Why is that? It's because of what he said. What did he say? It's about free speech. It's about free speech. He has over and over again said that he does not see Twitter's commitment to the First Amendment. The Washington Post are supposed to be bastions of the demand and making sure that there's always free speech, freedom of the press. I mean, after all, Washington Post, they're a newspaper. Yeah, they're mostly online, but still they're a newspaper. They're journalists. They want everybody to have the chance to speak free. Unless what you say doesn't fit the political narrative that we preach here at our newspaper. In other words, it's wokeness. It's mob rule. If we're in charge, that means you can't do anything unless we okay it. And if you do anything outside of those bounds, we're going to shut you down. We may eliminate you, period. That's not where we're headed. That's where we are right now today. Let me give you an example. Controversial activist Professor Ibram X. Kendi. He's at Boston University. He says Republicans are not the party of parents. And this is the terminology he used. GOP members are not the party of parents. Rather, the party of white supremacy. And that white parents, Republicans, are grooming their kids to be racist. So he wrote an op-ed for The Atlantic, which is a hard-left magazine-style online news outlet, and it's not news outlet, it's an opinion outlet. The author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, and that's what Professor Ibram Kendi calls himself, I'm anti-racist. He pushed his new book while attacking the GOP in a rant about Republicans' rejection of critical race theory and gender identity classes for third graders. I mean, come on now, if you don't believe in that, you're a racist, right? Quote, the Republican Party is not the party of any group of parents, but the party of white supremacy, he declares. He says they're clearly not the party of parents. The Republican Party is certainly not the party of parents of color, but is the Republican Party even the party of white parents? This new branding is a myth, he stated a great myth. It is as fictitious and dangerous as the great lie that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from Donald Trump. So here's what he had to say about the myth. The myth is a result of a Trump Tower of GOP propaganda that is built upon four hugely false conceptual building blocks. He goes to all this trouble. He comes up with trying to come up with some legitimate explanations for his cry against Republicans. One, 
Republican politicians care about white children. Two, anti-racist education is harmful to white children. Three, Republican politicians are protecting white children by banning anti-racist education. And four, the Republican Party is the party of white parents because it is protecting white children. Now, first of all, in the context of what you just heard, it is it is hugely aggravating to me for anybody to term someone else as anti-racist. When the person pointing the finger and blaming and doing it is espousing and acting out what any racist education is that they're railing against. Now, let me explain. The whole thing is, a whole class of Americans have adopted a definition of what racism is that is really not racist. Martin Luther King Jr., would he would turn over in his grave if he could and heard all of these calls for anti-racist education because it's not anti-racist. It's anti-anybody-but-black education. In other words, they're adopting racism to attack what they uh, uh, deem to be racist and racism. Weaponization against somebody that disagrees with you. That's what this is all about. It has nothing to do with racism. It has to do with militarization and politicization of one's opinion of racism and who espouses that opinion. In other words, these militant African-American people, some of them, thank God it's not very many, but they're not committed first to the rule of law. They're not committed first to the U.S. Constitution. They're not committed to anything except what fits their political narrative, what they've taken and adopted, and they maintain this is factual. This is the way it is. Why? They don't give us any sources or any affirmation. What they give us is their opinions, and they say, fact, this is the way it is. And so then they have to label everybody. We just keep going further and further down this road. Now, Nicole Wallace, she's not African-American. She's a white anchor on MSNBC. On her show Deadline yesterday, she took this thing about Republicans and people in the Republican Party being racist. She said on Deadline yesterday that congressional Republicans are a threat to national security. Now, where did she get this? Well, over the weekend, Kevin McCarthy, he's the House Minority Leader, Nicole said, Nicole Wallace said, he's either ignorant, of which is always possible with him, or he's unbothered by, also likely, his own continued startling hypocrisy. Suggested Russia would never have invaded Ukraine ever in the first place if the U.S. had just provided weapons to President Zelensky sooner than we did. And here's why that matters. You'll remember just two years ago, Kevin McCarthy tried multiple times 
to defend the twice-impeached ex-president's campaign to hold up military aid for Ukraine in an attempt to demand political help from Zelensky. You remember all that? Well, that's a version of it, but that wasn't what it was. They tried to impeach Donald Trump for saying what she just said he said, and they had no way of reading the former president's mind. But, of course, they never have to have permission It doesn't matter if they read it right. Because they read it the way they wanted to read it, that's their right. They're woke. She said this, They didn't vote to affirm the commitment to NATO. I think calling them out is what Democrats who care about national security should do. Wallace said, My point is, if the parties were reversed, Republicans would make it a poison pill. The Republican Party under McCarthy and Mitch McConnell or a threat to national security at home and the global security arrangements that have kept us safe since World War II. And she concluded, it's not their internal problems. It's it's, they treat the present the way they do it to all of us, to their constituents and all the rest of us. To be able to live in a world that exists with that kind of mindset Think about the effort that it takes, the time it takes to sit down and think through and come up with all of these insane ideas, and you have to have a boogeyman. To be able to go after anybody, you've got to label a boogeyman that justifies your going after them. Boy, it was easy during the four years of Trump in the White House every day. There he is. He's the orange man. He's the bad guy. When he opens his mouth, you know he's lying. Everything he says, you know he's lying about. And of course then, instead of when it started getting good economically in the nation, we got our tax cuts, money, revenue going to the federal government, skyrocketed. They said it was going to bust the government if if he passed those tax cuts on every American, that it was only going to benefit the rich. They always go down that road every single time. And all of a sudden, More African-Americans working than ever before. More women working than ever before. Job revenue, wages on the job, went up like never before. Prices across the board came down in pretty much every area. Interest rates came way, way down. There was basically zero inflation. It was going pretty good. But they never one time, not any of them, ever one time acknowledged that Trump promised when he was campaigning, if we elected him, he would do all these things and a few other things. In my lifetime, he's the very first president, the very first one to be able to immediately hit the ground running, doing the positive things, implementing the positive plans that he promised. And then they worked and the left couldn't take that. So what they've done since that They've doubled down every day, doubled down on stupid, thinking that you and I are too stupid to catch on to them, trying to ramp up, wave all of these flags in our faces to divert our attention from the facts. And of course, they have to create a boogeyman. And it's never the same one, but it doesn't matter. They're easy to find out there. If you don't think the same way they that you do, you're automatically a candidate to be the next boogeyman. 
And now back to John with the weather. Yes, Andy. Tonight, a big storm. Storm this! Get the soccer offer from Pizza Hut and Pepsi. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Yes, a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Don't miss the Pizza Hut and Pepsi soccer offer. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. What about the weather, Andy? Don't resist and call 19,000 now. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. The view from the top is reserved for the bold. And the bold tell the truth. Truthnewsnet.org. Do you ever wonder when you hear about these politicians, it doesn't matter what party they belong to, but they're out there campaigning. They'll have these fundraisers, you know, the $1,000 a plate, $10,000 a plate, And people just flood in there paying these prices just to be in their presence, just because they support us. They want us to be in office. They want us to go up there and push our ideas out across America to make life better for them all. There's always justification for doing it. You wonder what happens? What do they do with all their money? Well, you hear some things, you know, you came out with these, uh, uh, these Democrat politicians began after the George Floyd incident and the racial strife just raised across the nation to epic proportions, they just went back to their campaign funds and started hiring their own personal security, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then they found a way to justify it. It's because we stepped up. We stepped up to stop these evil policemen. And because of that, lots of policemen now are after us. So we've got to protect ourselves and our people that are campaign contributors. They understand. The love of money is the root of all evil. And in politics, the love of money is what makes that world go around. And so I look at these politicians that run in these, these, these big races, I mean, folks, U.S. Senator, congressman in the 
U.S. House of Representatives, Congressman Mike Johnson, he broke it down for me. If you want to serve on a committee in Congress, you can't just go pick a committee and raise your hand and say, okay, I'll do that. Let me do that. doesn't work that way. You have to buy it. You have to raise for each position in leadership. There's a specific sum of campaign dollars that have to come in, not necessarily for your campaign, but to go in the national Republicans campaign fund. I'm serious. Everything has money attached to it. And then, of course, why would anybody want to go to Congress if they didn't have a plan and it didn't include some type of personal enrichment? And that personal enrichment, I'm not saying any of it comes from anybody illegally or illegitimately. That's not the position I take. But what it does, it opens lots of doors for you to get involved in business matters. Some people in Congress... They really take advantage of it, kind of like Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul. Congress actually, years ago, when she wasn't the Speaker of the House, but she was a member of the House of Representatives representing her district in San Francisco, her husband is a commercial real estate. I guess he's an oligarch. I don't know, but he's mastered it. He's gotten amazing opportunities to enrich himself and his family But that's not Nancy. But she, through her power, through her contacts, opened all the doors. It comes out every once in a while when some people in Congress are really messing up and doing some very obvious, stupid things with money. South Carolina Representative Jim Clyburn, you remember him? He's like the third most powerful person in government. Well... He distributed more than 200 grand in campaign money to entities that are controlled by his relatives. He's the third-ranking Democrat in the House. He's made 15 rental payments to a company controlled by a daughter and a son-in-law and then 39 direct payments to another daughter and son-in-law. His grandson also appears to be a salaried employee and has received twice monthly payments from Clyburn's campaign since October of 2021. The campaign paid 49 Magnolia Blossom LLC, 62500 bucks, and they did it in 15 installments, started in March of 2020, finished in January of this year. And it's for office rent. Office rent, that's according to Federal Election Commission filings. 49 Magnolia Blossom LLC was incorporated way back in 2018 with Clyburn's son-in-law, Walter A. Reed, listed as the company's agent. Walter is married to Clyburn's daughter, Jennifer, whom President Biden appointed federal co-chair of the Southeast Crescent Regional Commission. In addition to that money paid to his LLC, The Clyburn campaign paid $650 to Walter Reed personally for office maintenance lighting in May of 2021. But Reed wasn't finished. He also received significant payments from Clyburn's campaign. During her father's 2020 very successful re-election campaign, 
She was paid forty-five grand, which the Clyburn campaign described in filings as a campaign management fee. Walter and Jennifer's son, Walter A. Reed, was employed by the Clyburn campaign as well. Walter A.C. Reed, Representative Clyburn's grandson, got $37,500 through 11 payments from the campaign since October last year. The Clyburn campaign paid the congressman's other daughter and son-in-law, Angela and Cecil Hannibal, a combined $90,000 for various activities dating all the way back to 2010. It didn't just start. He's been doing it for a, a decade plus. He's one of several members of Congress who have funneled money to their relatives through campaign accounts in recent years. Democrat Representative Johanna Hayes from Connecticut paid her adult children more than thirty-five grand out of campaign funds since entering Congress two years ago. Democrat California Representative Maxine Waters paid her daughter more than a hundred grand during the twenty eighteen election cycle. Republican Idaho Representative Russ Fulcher paid family members sixty nine grand during the twenty twenty election. You following all this? Follow the money. Follow the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's why so many Americans are so frustrated. These, these men and women that go to Congress, the average pay is about $170,000, $175,000 a year. And because you're a member of Congress, you're not going to sell out at home necessarily. So you're going to have to maintain a home at home in your home city, the district in which you, uh, you represent. And then you go to Congress, you got to have a place to stay. You're not going to be there year-round every day. But when you're there, you got to have a place well, Washington, D.C. is not known as being a really cheap place to live. There are no housing deals there. To get anything realistic, you're going to pay a, a pretty sum. And so that is the key that opens up the door to them to find ways to turn their legislative opportunities into legislative off-balance sheet bucks. Do you follow me? Now, of course, they're not going to do anything to break the rules. They're going to work within the guidelines, you know, or they're going to be held accountable. Well, let me put it to you this way. Who makes the rules? The United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate. They make all their own rules to rule their, their themselves. There are federal election committee requirements and rules that are laid out there about how the funds that are, that are gotten and contributions are to be used or can be used, but they're pretty lenient. So lenient, <laughs> some of the stuff we just told you. You think that he's the only one doing this? <laughs> Jim Clyburn is the only one? Come on now. You know better than that. There are people that are taking this to the next degree and two or three, four degrees above where Jim Clyburn is. Maxine Waters, that story that in, in what we just told you, that one that one payment to her daughter, no, she does it every year. Her daughter supposedly has an advertising agency, and Maxine has to use the agency all the time, paying big dollars. Nancy Pelosi, I mean, she just raped 
the opportunity that came from her being House Speaker on two different times. It opened up all kind of doors. If, you, if you're not a regular here, I told you the story about what happened in uh, Sacramento, California. I have a friend in Modesto, which is about 70 miles south of uh, the, the California capital. And so often I'll fly in to Sacramento and then grab a rent car and drive the 70 miles. And so one time I was driving south and I noticed you get out in the southern suburbs and all of a sudden it gets just real wide open. There's nothing there. And then bam, there's a huge development. And out in the middle is this gorgeous coliseum that was built. And when I say development, it's like a little town was built and it all looks like it was around that coliseum. What was that all about? Well, Paul Pelosi, a real estate developer in San Francisco, Northern California, he's always looking for deals. So the foot, uh, football, <laughs> the basketball team was looking for a new place to build and move their team to somewhere around Sacramento, in downtown, outside, or whatever. Nancy, being a heavy, heavyweight in Washington, D.C. politics, and being a heavyweight in San Francisco, because she's been House Speaker several times, she found out about this, about this quote-unquote opportunity. And so, very quietly, she met with the members of the owners of that particular NBA team. I'm not going to mention their names. You can figure all that out for yourself. And just happened to mention this stretch of town 10 miles or so south of the southern suburbs of Sacramento. And they came up with this plan that, you know, we could make it a little town, a little city, have all kind of, make it be a trendy place to go. And so the NBA the NBA team, Nancy opened up the door for them to go visit with the state people that would be part of this thing. And they all got together, and in the middle of this, when it looked like it was actually going to come down, guess what happened? Somebody bought all that land down there. Every bit of it, the, the, the part of it they didn't write a check for, they put it under contract, first right of refusal. In other words, you can't sell it without coming to me first. And then all of a sudden, the state government gets excited about it and they go public with it. Look what we're going to do. We're going to do a partnership with the NBA team. We're going to build this new coliseum on the outskirts of town and we've got all this land planned out there and we're going to have subdivisions, shopping centers, medical center. We've even got one of the medical providers in California that's agreed to build a hospital out there. Paul Pelosi bought all that land and he sold all that land to the people that developed it. That was so egregious and so upsetting when the details of it were made public to the members of Congress. They actually passed internal legislation. What does that mean? They make the rules for their their conduct for all the members of the U.S. House of Representatives. Senate has the same opportunity. And they made a new rule. You can't do that. And they call it the Pelosi rule. Of course, there's no teeth in it. 
they have no prosecutorial authority over another member, a fellow member of Congress, but it's supposed to be where, you know, you do the right things. You don't take advantage of opportunities just because you've got a title. Well, that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they all do. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. Now, let's go back. Let's go back to Twitter again for just a bit. You know who Jack Dorsey is. He's one of the founders of Twitter. And he's the former Twitter boss. He's the former CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. So I wondered, I was looking forward to him speaking up. What would he say about what he thinks about this thing with Elon Musk? Well, he called out the company's board of directors calling it the dysfunction of the company. He led Twitter through a bunch of waves of censoring conservatives, including Donald Trump. But Jack has recast himself as a supposed advocate of internet freedom. I cannot believe this is happening. Fortune magazine reports Jack Dorsey has recently been highly critical of Twitter's board as they resist a buyout offer from Elon Musk, Elon that owns Tesla. One user tweeted about Twitter's history of drama, board member decisions that added to the drama. Dorsey was quick to reply. Investor Gary Tan tweeted, the wrong partner on a board can make a billion dollars in value evaporate, to which one user quoted venture capitalist Fred Destin's quote, that a bad board can kill a company. Dorsey replied to this tweet, big Facts, F-A-C-T-S. When asked if he was allowed to say this, Dorsey simply responded, no. He didn't get kicked out. He stepped down from his position as CEO in November, but he will remain a board member until his term expires at the 2022 meeting of stockholders. He's been harshly critical of the company's board. And this comes shortly after management enacted that limited-duration shareholder rights plan, often referred to, you've heard us talk about it here this way, the poison pill. Interesting. I wondered what Jack Dorsey was going to say, if he was going to say anything about this war for the ownership of Twitter, what it was going to look like, what, if anything, was going to happen. I don't know. I don't know if they'll get it together. Elon Musk has put a big offer on the table. And um, you got to understand something. Twitter's not one of those companies that somebody buys it and they are automatically making billions of dollars. Twitter's not a cash register. It's not. If you're a stockholder, your stock value, the only time it's really going to increase in value significantly is if this buyout offer is accepted and it happens. We're going to watch it for you. Brian Stelter, he's up next here. A politician's worst nightmare? The truth. And you're getting it here with Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. 
Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag Hot and Modern This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org And Dan Newman. You know, I have watched all this stuff that's happened in the CNN world recently. You know, they, they lost their, their chairman of the board... Uh, they had all kind of upsets happening. They lost one of their anchors, Cuomo. And uh, there's one person that looks like is going to make it through all this stuff. And I got to be honest with you. I think he would be the first person that should go. Um, And I'm talking about Brian Stelter. He's just a very weak guy. His show is supposed to be the one where he, um, where his show watches other media outlets and he has people on and brings information in that kind of points a finger at CNN's competitors and puts them down, makes CNN look a little better, makes everybody that works for CNN look a little better, or at least they believe that happens. Well, on Sunday, Brian was on the show Reliable Sources, and uh, he showed... Well, actually, he pretended to be ignorant about perceived bias against conservatives. Using quotes from Yale and MIT scholars to somehow try to get us believe that the moderate majority wants censorship in social media platforms. Think about that. The moderate majority. In other words, what he's doing is creating for this particular conversation He's creating what the mindset is of who really is moderate. You follow me? When you got a guy like Brian Stelter, he's saying, I'll tell you who is moderate. And if I say it's moderate, then it means it's got to be moderate. Here's what he said. Is Twitter biased against conservatives? That's the title of this new working paper by professors at MIT and Yale. In the words of Professor David Rand, the root of the challenge when looking at it is that Republicans, conservatives, are substantially more likely to share misinformation or fake news than Democrats are. Therefore, as social media platforms, the policies aimed at reducing nonsense and boosting real news would ensnare Republican users more often. He said all that with a straight face. And they do this all the time. They'll do this. They'll throw out something like that and just, they want us to assume, well, this is CNN. This is Brian Stelter. If they say this, 
I guess it's so, and we just process it, put it in our brains, and we keep it there for a long time. (laughs) Unless some other person that we listen to comes back and convinces us it was wrong. I I just can't believe he said that. This research team found wide partisan support for platforms trying to reduce misinformation. People don't want QAnon craziness all up in their news feeds. But Professor Rand says putting these two together shows the real problem. In responding to bipartisan demand, platforms may wind up enforcing on conservatives more than on liberals. Now, this is Stelter that's saying all of this. Now, complaints about conservatives being censored online, they are core to the GOP's identity. See this heritage headline as an example. It plays into the cancel culture narrative that powers Trumpian fundraising, and now it is at the heart of Elon Musk's hostile takeover bid for Twitter. He was attempting to link legitimate conservative news sources with Tesla and SpaceX ex-CEO Elon Musk wanting to restore free speech on Twitter by buying the outlet. Right-wing media is celebrating Musk's bid, saying he's going to rescue free speech. He's going to rescue free speech. He's going to reinstate for millions of Americans, people around the world who'd been muzzled by Twitter. And the villain in their story is, of course, the mainstream media. So in other words, what you just heard, and I quoted some of it from Brian Stelter, it was all planned up front. They're out there right now. They're not giving us news. Brian Stelter is not talking about news. He's finding ways or attempting to find ways to rebuild any credibility that CNN might have had that's gone, that he might have had that's gone by normalizing a narrative telling you that Elon Musk is not a conservative. What they're doing, he's facilitating buying this company to make himself look good and to further make himself seem better than he is by talking about we're going after those that are stifling free speech. Instead of giving conservatives a chance to defend themselves against those baseless attacks of him, the CNN host turned to his colleague Claire Duffy and Jessica Tunkel from the website The Information. When you're suspended or banned by a social network that is a very intense thing and not to be taken lightly, but this cry that it's all about Republicans being censored, do you buy that, he asked? Does that sound like a an open-ended question that he asked? No. I mean, listen to the way he phrased it. When you're suspended or banned by a social network, and here's the key, that is a very intense thing and not to be taken lightly, but this cry that it's all about Republicans being censored, do you buy into that? I think that his push about free speech and that he's going to like 
open it up to everyone. They're talking about Elon Musk buying Twitter. I mean, despite all the rhetoric, like he can't do that. That's not realistic. Most users don't want to live in a sewer on their phones full of BS, you know. They don't want that. They actually want some moderation. They actually want some moderation. He charged on CNN without any clue what the majority of Americans actually want, which apparently does entail free speech. And for those at CNN, I will tell you this. Americans do want the news. Americans do want righteous, truthful information. They want information from you, Brian. They don't want you to tell us how to think, to tell us what to think, and to put us down if we don't think just like you. Denigrate us just because we may disagree with you. How in the world anybody on CNN, anybody elsewhere on MSNBC, on ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, how any people that work for these companies or in ownership of these companies, how they can possibly believe, looking at the viewership of CNN and MSNBC and these national news broadcast networks, how they can ever think, ever, that they're giving real news that the American people want. Those people in management can look at the numbers and they can tell us, folks, they can tell us what people think because what people think is where they go to get what they want to get. And they're not going to CNN. Folks, have a great day. Thank you for being here. I hope to see you tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. here at TNN Live. Have a good one. 